I really like movies. I'm a movie guy. Um, my wife usually falls asleep at movies. And, but here's, what, here's what's cool is recently she's getting more into movies, which I love. It's like a love language. It's like it's filling me up when we get to watch movies together. She used to not be into Marvel movies at all. And, uh, but recently, recently she's like gotten on board. And uh, I know, which is fun for me. And so we went and saw Endgame yesterday and super fun. And I, I got to admit, I cried a little bit. All right. It was, no, I'm not giving anything away in the movie. I'm just saying like, I'm just saying I, it was emotional for me. All right. So I cried. Um, but I'm sort of like a crier in, in, in other movies, especially like movies that involves like fathers and sons, you know, and I, maybe I get that from my dad. My dad, every time he watches um, Field of Dreams at the end of the movie where he's like playing catch with his dad, um, my dad just tears up and cries. But like I tear up, I tear up in sports movies. So like in Remember the Titans, I'm like, oh you're going to remember when you played the Titans, you know, and at Rudy, I always cry at Rudy, you know, there's a bunch of sports movies um, that I cry at. Um, what are some movies you cry at? Anybody want to just uh, be vulnerable in here in the, in the room and just talk? What, what's a movie you cry at? Nobody say Notebook, all right, come on, nobody. I cried in episode one when Qui-Gon Jinn died. Uh, when Qui-Gon Jinn died in episode one. Oh, we gave it away. Sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah, just yell it out. What is it? What is it? Ice Castles. Ice Castles. Never saw it, but that sounds like a sad movie with the title Ice Castles. Uh, anybody else? A movie you cry in? Come on, don't be shy. It's a safe place. Yeah, yell it out. Hook. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Rufio. Yeah. Lion King. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, man. All right, good. I'm not alone. All right, we got some, we got some criers. I love it. Um, um, the, another movie that I cried in was, did anybody cry at Castaway? Am I, only, am I the only one? When, when Wilson is floating away, oh my goodness. And then you sort of laugh at yourself that you're crying because it's, it's a volleyball, right? And it's like, I know it's a volleyball, but it's Wilson, you know, and you start to tear up. Um, uh, Castaway is one of my favorite movies, and we're starting a new sermon series where that's going to sort of like, I'm excited. I'm excited for today. Um, we're going to start a new sermon series called How to Survive a Shipwreck. Um, that's starting today. Um, Got to give props to Kyler and Nicole over here who put these uh, put these together. Was it which one? Which one? Which one actually did the heavy lifting on that? Was it okay, Kyler? Kyler, thank you so much. That's, that looks awesome. Way to go. Um, we're starting a new one. Now listen, here's what happens is uh, we just got done with a sermon series that was kind of in investigating Lent and these early rhythms of the church. And in a funny way, we're going to continue it, but just with a, with a different name. Because here's one of the things I learned that I didn't know beforehand when I started studying for that last sermon series, Rhythms and Rituals, that we did. Is that the early church, when they would celebrate, they'd go through Holy Week, they'd celebrate Easter, and then they would spend the next eight weeks, um, part of the church calendar, just talking about Easter. Just talking about the resurrection. That, the resur that, that Easter didn't last one week. It lasted like eight weeks. And they just would continue to come back to the reality of if Jesus really, if the tomb really is empty, then what does that mean for us? And so that's in a, little, in a way, that's what we're going to do as a church. We're going to kind of go through some really key passages, um, especially in the New Testament, where the writers are grappling with this, this truth that Jesus is alive. And what does that mean for us just in everyday life? What are the implications of it? And uh, so we titled it How to Survive a Shipwreck because if Jesus really did ro rise from the dead, then no shipwreck is too big. Um, so listen, um, 
ancient people, ancient people considered uh, the sea to be a very mysterious, dangerous place. And still we consider the ocean to be a mysterious, dangerous place. We're still discovering new things in the ocean. It's, uh, it's untamable, the ocean is. It's, it's still pretty mysterious. But imagine being in the ancient world and, uh, and, you know, believing in like sea monsters and, you know, who knows what's down there. And uh, so the sea, the, the, the water, the seas was, was sort of like a metaphor. It was sort of a picture of just the chaos of life. And the biblical authors really pick up on this theme. And so you go through all throughout the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament scriptures, and you see that this is a theme that God sort of like is stepping into or, or sort of like using and, and uh, being a part of this idea of the chaotic waters that are like crashing over our lives. So for instance, just, just real quick, just a little survey through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, you know, right at the very beginning of Genesis, it's God sort of hovering over what he's like hovering over the void this this uh, the 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 waters the the deep it's the chaotic waters and God creates order out of it um, and then next there's another important story that involves a whole lot of water and a big boat you guys remember that one Noah right so the waters come you know and it's it's chaotic and it's sort of like in that story it's like God's judgment almost is sort of like is represented by the, by the waters. And then there's a really another famous story, it's from, and it's in the book of Exodus. In fact, it's called the Exodus, where the, uh, where the Israelites are freed from slavery. And it's a very important, important story um, to, uh, to, to Jewish people and to Christians. It's this foundational story where God delivers them, and what does he deliver them through? The, the chaotic waters, the, the Red Sea. It's parted, and they go through it, but then it crashes down. On, on the Egyptians. Um, there's tons. I mean, I, I mean I just, this is like a spattering, but like, you know, in the book of Psalms, you'll see it as a theme. I just got one here, Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Um, the Old Testament prophets pick up on this theme of the chaotic waters. Isaiah 57 says, But the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. And there's all sorts of other passages with the, the prophets in the Old Testament just using this chaotic waters as a metaphor of, uh, of like the storms in life, like God's, you know, just the difficulties that we, that we face in life. And so it's no wonder that when we get to the New Testament, uh, we see Jesus calming the water. We see Jesus calming storms, physically, like, like literally calming storms, but also calming storms in people's lives, healing and, and preaching, and he's, and he's calming this, these chaotic waters. No, last week, we got to baptize a bunch of people, and so no wonder this picture of baptism sort of speaks into that thing of the, you, that we go into the chaotic waters, we go into the grave, but then we're, then we're delivered from them. We rise up again out of them. Um, and, uh, and then, lastly, just what is so interesting, when we get to like the, one of the last verses of the whole Bible, at the very, very end of the book of Revelation, and you know, the book of Revelation is sort of a strange book, and what does it all mean, and you know, what's it pointing to? But all commentators agree, like the very last few chapters of Revelation certainly is pointing to the end, and it gives us this picture of... of of heaven, of this new heaven and the new earth. And listen to this. It's no wonder then that um, in John's revelation in chapter 21 in verse 1 it says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. That there is no, he, said, he makes a point to let us know that there's no, there's, there's no sea. Now, does that mean like there's no water? I mean, he's, he's speaking very metaphorical here. He, he's, he's speaking to a group of people that already know, that already know that this image of the chaotic waters, that the sea is a dangerous place, that they just know that. And so then when, when John says, and then at the, at the end of days, there's, there's no more sea. And he's speaking of the fact that there's, there's, no, more, there's no more strife. There's no more chaotic waters to be rescued out of. There's no more death. That in the end, there is no sea. Um, so I want to read to you this morning a, uh, a, probably the New Testament's most famous shipwreck from the, from the book of Acts 27. And as I was researching Acts 27, I came across this little tidbit that in the late 1800s, there was a group of Scottish scholars that, that set, they were agnostic or atheist, and they set out to disprove the scriptures, to disprove the Bible. Um, and there was one famous archaeologist, Sir William Ramsey, and he was really excited to disprove the Bible. And it was his task to go through the different journeys of, of uh, that Luke accounts in the book of Acts and go through the different journeys that Paul made and just see all the discrepancies, just sort of pick out all the areas where the scripture was wrong, you know, based on like what actually landmarks were there and all the different stuff. And he was really excited to disprove it. Um, but he came back from that trip um, so believing, so believing the scripture's uh, authenticity that here's what he said. He says that, uh, that the book of Acts is a masterpiece and the most accurate description of a sea voyage in the ancient world that is on record today. Speaking of this passage that I'm going to read you from Acts 27, Sir William Ramsey says, it's the most accurate description of a sea voyage in the ancient world that is on record today. And he quoted, he's quoted as saying that it is unsurpassed in its respect to its trustworthiness. That's what I'm going to read you. Uh, right now, this, uh, this shipwreck that Paul goes through. Now the context is, is Paul, he's been captured for preaching Jesus and he has appealed to go. He's a Roman citizen, and so he appeals to go to Rome, and so he's going to stand trial there. And so they got to ship him all the way there. Um, it was one of the rules that they had in, in the Roman Empire at the time. And uh, Paul is no stranger to ships. He's been on a lot of them. He, in fact, he's been through a couple shipwrecks already. And he's on this ship, and he, he knows that it's probably a bad idea to go this direction, but the, captain, the Roman captain wants to go, and so he says, fine. I think something bad's going to happen because he knows how to read the seas. He know, he's been on, on boats a lot. And uh, he gives them a warning, but they don't listen, and they charge ahead, and they encounter the, sh the, the storm of their lives. And I'll read it to you. It's kind of long, but um, Luke, why does Luke go to the trouble to tell us this whole story? Um, he, he goes to the trouble of telling us a lot of details here. Why? Well, there's a couple things. There's a couple reasons why. Um, Acts 27. Starting in verse 13, when a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought that they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly and a wind, and a wind of typhoon strength called a northeaster burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't, couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Caudia, where, the great, where, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. 
When the sailors bound ro- then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across the sandbars of Sirtis off the African coast. So they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars, until at last all hope was gone. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me at the fir- in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the sea of of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. So they dropped a weighted line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured again and found that it was only 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid that we would soon be driven across against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. The anchors are supposed to sort of slow down the boat so that it doesn't hit doesn't hit the, uh, the shore. I read a lot about sailing this week, by the way. Um, then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers that you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat. Now, these people are distraught. I mean, they think they're dead. So, you know, they're not eating. I mean, they're just, they're anemic at this point. This has been a really, really long storm that they've been in. And so look what Paul does. He says, he says, uh, please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat. All 276 of us who were also, who were on board, And after eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to the shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and left them in in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed toward the shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure that they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to shore. All right, I'll pray and we'll be done this morning. Um, Just kidding. Uh, why? Why does, Paul, why, why does Luke go to the trouble to tell us this story? 
first of all, some of you might even be surprised that this kind of stuff is in the Bible. You kind of thought the Bible was all like, you know, thou and thy and do this and don't do that. And <laughs> the book of Acts actually, re- it's a narrative. It's telling this, this really amazing story of this early church. And so, you know, read it for yourself. You can see all the things that happened to Paul before this and what brought him to this place. And then what happens next um, in the story. But Luke goes out of his way to tell us why. Here's just three things that I can see, guys. He, we got to see the nature of shipwrecks the secret treasure of shipwrecks, and the presence in shipwrecks, okay? The nature of them, the secret treasure in them, and the presence in them. Uh, first, the nature of, of shipwrecks. Um, obviously, you know, this is, a, this is a real storm that they were in, but, you know, it's not lost on us that we're, it's okay for us to read this passage and, and realize that it's speaking to the fact that um, all of us um, in our lives are going to experience some sort of a shipwreck. Okay, you've experienced them in your, in your past already. Uh, maybe you're in a, in a good spot right now. For some of you, you're in one right now. You feel like you're drowning. You feel like you're clinging to some debris, just like these men here. You feel like, or maybe you're here and you just got out of one and you feel like you finally made it to the shore and you finally can feel ground on your feet for the first time in perhaps a long time. Um, I don't know. I don't know where you're at this morning. But here's some things that we do know about the shipwrecks that we experience in our lives. Uh, One is that they're unavoidable. They're unavoidable. Um, When it comes to shipwrecks, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's not about if, it's a matter of when. That all of us at some point in our lives, probably at many points in our lives, we're going to experience some, some, uh, some topsy-turviness, some, some, some craziness. We're going to experience some storms. Storms are also unpredictable. You know this. Um, our lives are unpredictable. We can't, we can't determine when these are going to happen many times. Sometimes you can see them coming. Sometimes it's a decision that you're making and you know it's not wise. You know it's going to shipwreck a lot of things, but you don't have eyes to see it quite yet, but it's kind of far off. Maybe it's financial, maybe it's relationship-wise, or maybe sometimes, and for many of us, we've experienced shipwrecks in our lives, not even because of our decisions, but because of other people's decisions, and we were on the boat with them, and it caused us to sink, and it was unexpected. You didn't see it coming. Storms, uh, shipwrecks are unpredictable. Uh, Shipwrecks are also impartial. They're impartial. Um, Sometimes when you grow up in church, um, if you grew up a Christian, or maybe even if you're a new Christian, and maybe, maybe you, uh, you get this sense of this feeling like, now that I'm a Christian, all is going to be good now. No more shipwrecks for me. <laughs> or maybe you grew up in a home where you were taught, you know, that if you just follow the rules, and if you just have trust, if you trust Jesus, then he's going to deliver you from every shipwreck. But if you grew up believing that, then you were probably became disillusioned at some point. Because you experienced a shipwreck and maybe you wave your fist at God and you say, God, if I, I obeyed you, you're, you're supposed to keep storms away from my boat. But what we know, here's what we know, guys, is we know that storms are impartial, that, that storms come to the righteous and the unrighteous. And we know this because we, look at Paul. He's in, he's in the storm. And Paul is like a pretty... Paul's a pretty important Christian guy. Um, he's the most amazing missionary that Christians have, have, have ever had. I mean, Paul, is, um, Paul is, is in the storm. And what we do know is that Jesus himself was perfect. And yet Jesus' life was quite stormy. You just read a little bit about his story and you know that Jesus was not rich. He was not uh, an important figure. Jesus um, went through 
lot of storms and went through the ultimate shipwreck. And so our behavior doesn't determine necessarily where, where shipwrecks are come, will come. Although if you, if you follow Christ and what he has to say about how to order our lives, then you will probably avoid some shipwrecks. And some of us have walked right into some shipwrecks that we didn't need to walk into. But regardless of all that, shipwrecks are impartial. Also, um, shipwrecks are painful. They're painful. You know that. Um, think about these men on the boat is uh, they're, they're throwing out the cargo. You know what they're throwing out when they're throwing out the cargo? Their paycheck. <laughs> I mean, they, they might, they're probably going to die. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, they, they're also, if they do survive, they're not getting paid for this voyage. I mean, you know, it's, it's painful on that level. And it's painful because, you know, this is, this is your boat. This is your life. And you're losing it. Or it feels like you're losing all hope. And that is really, really hard. And I know that you know exactly what that feels like because you're either in it now or you've been in it in the past. Um, that's the nature of shipwrecks. But what, is, what about the secret treasure of shipwrecks? The secret treasure is this, is listen, shipwrecks in a weird way can also be valuable. Valuable. There's another story in the Bible that I kind of skipped when I did that little survey. There's another important story where a guy's on a boat and he's on his way to sort of be an ambassador for God into, this, into, this, uh, into a city. It's a city called Nineveh. It's not Rome. But he's a, it's a little bit of a parallel like Paul. Paul's on a boat. He's headed to Rome. There's another guy named Jonah. And he's on a boat. And he's headed to Nineveh. What we know in that story from the book of Jonah is that God sends the storm that causes the, the, the ship to, to almost go under. And that's why Jonah has to get, you know, chucked out. But we know in that story that God sends that storm. Oh, man, that's, that's kind of crazy to think that God will send storms, perhaps. But listen, in this story, there's no indication at all whether God is sending this storm. You know? There's no indication at all. It doesn't say in the passage that God has, has providentially, you know, sent the storm. We don't know. It's, it doesn't tell us that. But either way, whether God, whether it's just a storm that comes or whether it's, it's coming, there's, there's sort of a secret treasure in the midst of shipwrecks and in the midst of storms. Uh, because here's what we know is that in this story, at least, that I read in Acts chapter 27, we don't know if God sent the storm, but we know that God's sovereign over all the storms. But you know what God's promised to do? He's promises, he promises to use the storm. He promises to use the shipwreck. And if you keep reading in the story, which I encourage you to do, they, uh, Paul ends up shipwrecked on this island of Malta. And, uh, and all sorts of crazy things happen. He gets bit by a snake next. All right, you can read that on your own. Um, but what happens is, is they, they, they get to talk about Jesus on this island. And then people start bringing their sick to Paul and Paul heals them. And they come, to, they come to face to face with the reality of, of this Jesus that Paul worships that is alive. And that God... He uses, we don't know if God sent the storm, but God uses the storm. That storms in a way can be valuable. Now, I don't know how it can be, I don't know, I, I don't have all the answers to your storms. But here's what I know. For some of us, we, we um, you know, you've built your ship plank by plank by plank over your life. And no doubt there's some really great parts of the ship, but perhaps you've built your ship or maybe you built a ship that other, that other people told you that you ought to build. And so that's the ship that you're sailing on. And you think it's firm. You think it's stable. You think it's going to get you to where it's supposed to go. But maybe, but maybe your ship isn't, isn't going to be seaworthy. I mean, maybe you built your life on your parents' approval. Maybe that's where you built your life. 
you've got to prove your worth to mom and dad. And you're always going to be disappointed there because maybe you're never going to get it. That's going to be sifting sand. That's going to be a sinking ship. Maybe you built your ship on the fact that you can be somebody if you just get that job. Or if you just get that, those accolades. If you can just get that promotion. Then, finally, I'll be seaworthy. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be sailing free. I don't know what it is. I don't know, I don't know what ship that you built in your life. But regardless is, listen, sometimes, sometimes God will send storms because he, he maybe, maybe actually it's by grace that some of our ships get battered up a little bit. Maybe, maybe in some ways, in some ways it's, it's by grace that our ships just sort of get tossed a bit so that we can sort of see, we can see er, things that we've built in our lives that really we shouldn't be trusting in so much. Shipwrecks have a way of exposing us, don't they? They just expose us. They expose like what we truly believe in, what, what we truly value. Maybe, maybe um, you know, you've built your ship on the fact that you can be loved by God if you just do all the right things. If you just like try to just live a righteous life. And, you just, and that's what it's built on. And, it's, and grace is hard for you. And maybe that ship needs to be broken up a little bit. Uh, there's a guy named Nathan Cole. Nathan Cole from, uh, uh, he, he got saved by listening to George Whit, uh, uh, Whitfield George Whitfield was preaching in Middleton, Connecticut in the year 1744. And Nathan Cole was listening to George Whitfield preach. And he, he, he said yes to following Jesus. And here's what he says. Here's his quote. He says, my hearing him preach gave me a heart wound. By God's blessing, my old foundation was broken up. And I saw that my righteousness could not save me. That, that Whitfield's preaching became like a storm that kind of toppled over his ship. And he realized that he was clinging to boards and clinging to things that weren't going to save him. It was actually a blessing that he went through that shipwreck. You notice when the, 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 the soldiers were, you know, the, the, the crew people were throwing off the cargo? Uh, that's what shipwrecks tend to do, right? Like it, it kind of solidifies what's most important in your life, what truly matters. And so in those moments, I mean, the wheat, like, hey, you know, we're going to throw that away. Like the, the, anything that's going to make us money, we're going to throw that away. Shipwrecks will have a tendency to sort of expose you, to expose what you truly are trusting and what you truly believe in, truly what your heart is resting on. And in a way, it's, it's, it's actually a beautiful gift that we get, that God uses. I don't know if he sends the storm, but man, he uses the storm. Um, I remember, I'll always remember uh, when the recession hit. I was, I was a pastor at a church up in, up in Seattle. And the, I remember, always remember the conversation I had with this guy who was a big real estate guy. He had lots of real estate, lots of condos, lots of different projects. And then that, rece- you know, the recession hit, what was it, 2007 or 8 or whatever. And it was, and, uh, and he just lost. He just lost so much. And uh, he was, and he was so angry at God. So angry at God that God was, that God would do that to him. And I remember sitting with him and I tried to explain to him that, that man, you know, like all hope isn't lost, that, you're, that, you're, that your stuff isn't what's at the foundation of your life. But he looked at me and he said, I can't worship a God that would do that to me. And he left. And I don't know where he's at right now, but he never came back to that church. He was so frustrated. And maybe perhaps he missed out on an opportunity that God was trying to show him what his life was resting on that wasn't going to be able to weather the storms of life. Um, Sometimes, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Sometimes losing your ship 
is the only way to move forward. Sometimes losing your ship is the only way for you to move forward. Another thing too, here, listen, here's the other treasure that I noticed is look at Paul. Look at Paul's attitude in the midst of this storm. Isn't it amazing what Paul does here? I mean, you can just see, as I read that to you, you could see his attitude. I mean, he's on a sinking ship, but yet Paul is just composed. He's like, oh, no, don't do that. And hey, guys, we should probably eat. You know, I mean, he's just leading, even though he's a captive on the boat. He's leading up. It's a great example for us of how to lead up in an organization if you're not at the top. Uh, But Paul's attitude is incredible. Notice in verse 34, he says this, please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will, will perish. For not a hair of your heads um, will will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and he broke off a piece and he ate it. Um, You got to notice something here. Now Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, also wrote the book of Luke. And Luke, when he says that, when Paul says, not a hair on your head will perish, Luke is like inserting like a hyperlink in here. You know, like a hyperlink on an email. You know, you click it and it takes you someplace, someplace else. He's, this is like a hyperlink. He's, he's, he's saying this because it's sort of like a treasure map. It's, and, it, and we're supposed to remember back when Jesus said the very same thing on the night before his death. On the night before Jesus' death, Jesus says the very same thing to his disciples. And here's what Jesus says. It's from Luke 21. And starting in verse 16, he says this. He's talking to his disciples. He says, you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. This is a fascinating thing for Jesus to say. I'm going to read it again, but I'm going to read it more slowly. Okay, listen, check it out. He says, you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers. And then he says, by relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. They will put some of you to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. <laughs> what does this mean? I mean, does this mean like I'm going to look really nice in my casket? Is that what it means? Like I'm just going to have like perfectly like McDreamy coiffed hair in my casket, but I'll be dead? You know, what, how, can, how can Jesus say some of you are going to die, but not a hair on your head is going to perish? What does that mean? Well, it's, it's, I mean, he's speaking about he, what he's trying to tell them, something really profound and beautiful. That because of what's going to happen on the cross in just, a, just a, few, a short time, and because Jesus knows that he's going to rise from the dead, then he can say something like this. Only Jesus can say something like this. Jesus is saying, yes, yeah, some of you are going to die. In fact, death is, death is unavoidable. You're going to die. But death doesn't have to win death you don't have to lose to death even if death even if death takes you Jesus is saying when he says not a hair on your head will will be harmed he's saying that death doesn't have to take away what's most important about you death doesn't have to ruin you even death can't ruin you Jesus says not a hair in your head will be lost even though you will some of you will die and Paul is saying not a hair on your head. Now, they survived the shipwreck, but, you know, what is, how, how can Paul have this sort of attitude? Um, how can Paul say things like this? Paul says this in the book of 2 Corinthians. He's writing about the reality of the resurrection. Listen to what Paul can say here. He says this in, in chapter 11. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times. This is... Acts chapter 7 that we just read, this is his third shipwreck. 
It says, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled, and I've often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and even gone, and often gone without food, and I've been cold and naked. I mean, Paul's just talking about these shipwrecks, the, these storms. And then he says this in 2 Corinthians, in another place, he says this. So we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. And then he says, for this slight momentary affliction. Slight momentary affliction? Paul, stoned, beaten, whipped, shipwrecked, hungry, danger everywhere. How can you say slight momentary affliction? How can, how can you say that's slight? It's because Paul's got this thing inside of him. And he says, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. You hear what he's saying? He's saying this. He's saying, not a hair in your head will perish, but by endurance you'll gain your souls. Take courage, he says. Remember, he says, none of you will lose your lives even though the ship will go down. Listen, listen, everyone listen. You can lose your ship without losing your soul. You can lose your ship without losing your hope. You can lose your ship without losing your faith. That's good news. That's sort of the secret treasure within whatever shipwrecks you may be experiencing. I don't know what ship is going down in your life or will go down, but listen, listen, you can lose your ship and it doesn't have to, you don't, you, you don't have to lose the thing that's most important. You've got something in the middle of the storm and this is where I want to end. How is this possible? Well, um, it's the presence in the storm. And uh, in a second, in a second, I'm going to have the band come up. Band, get ready, but don't come up yet. We're going to take communion together as we close today. Um, and we're going to respond. Because here's what we get to respond to right here. Listen to this. Is there's a presence in the storm. How does Paul have this attitude? Well, he says it in the text. Remember when he says this? He says, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. Listen, for last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve. He says, I had a conversation. God came and talked to me. And this is a God whom I, whom I belong and whom I serve. How can Paul say that if he's in the midst of a storm? He's in the midst of a shipwreck. How can he confidently say, yes, I belong to God and I serve God? How can he say that? Wouldn't you feel, I mean, if you're Paul, you'd feel abandoned, right? I mean, when you're going through a shipwreck, you feel so abandoned by God. You feel like you don't belong to God. You feel like you're being cast out by God when you go through shipwrecks and toil and pain and tragedy. You feel like God's forgotten about you. So here's Paul in the middle saying, no, the God whom I belong and the God to whom I serve. This is what he said. How can Paul do that? The reason why Paul can say that, the reason why that you and I can say that too in the midst of whatever shipwreck we go through is because at the core of what we have as Christ followers, we have, and guys, listen, no other religion has this. No other religion will offer you this. At the core of what we have, we have a God who has promised to be in the shipwreck with us. 
because we have a God who was shipwrecked for us. No other religion will tell you this. Every other religion gives you sort of an end around play around suffering. Every other religion says, no, 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 you just, you know, you just got to suffer because that's what faithful people do. Or, or, they say, or they say, no, your suffering is just an illusion. You have to get past it. You have to just, you know, you have to believe that it's not there. You either deny it or you just sort of like take it in and think that it's what you're supposed to do. Only in Christianity do we have a God who says, I'm with you in the shipwreck. I'm going to go down into the water with you. And Jesus showed us that ultimately by going under the chaotic waters for us. That Jesus wasn't clinging to some driftwood. He was nailed to it. For you and for me. That he went under the water. That's why Paul can say, listen, I know that I'm not cast off. I know that I'm loved. I know that he's with me. The God in whom I serve the God that I belong to, he's with me. He's with me. You can say that too. Because, because of the resurrection of Jesus, he is with you. He is with us. He's not in the tomb. And therefore, no matter what shipwreck you encounter, the resurrection can swallow it up. That's what we're going to spend the next bunch of weeks looking at. We're going to look at some different passages in the New Testament uh, about how to survive a shipwreck. Um, Band, come on up. And as they're coming up, Here's is a line from an old hymn. It says this, His love in time past forbids me to think. He'll leave me at last in trouble to sink. By prayer let me wrestle, and he will perform. With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm.